We're in Mark chapter 1. And let's go down to um, verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. When they found him, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. Jesus is um, pro- prophesied to be in Acts chapter, I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter 53, a man of sorrows and well acquainted with our grief. It, it paints him as a person who's not terribly attractive and who deals with depression. I think in some ways we can say, we can understand how anybody could be depressed if you come from the throne room of heaven and then have to come and live in human form around humans with human limitations. But it's probably more than that. He suffered what we suffer. He goes through what we, we go through. If you take Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and you, you arrange all the days where you see what Jesus is doing, where he's actively doing things, you come up with 21 days in three and a half years. Now, do I think he did more than that? Absolutely, no question. But I believe that that's, that's something we should think. A lot of ministers are really loners, and, that, and, and they're introverts. And that really surprises people because they'll think, but you're in the people business. You know, I'm aware of that, but I'm an introvert. Uh, it, it wears me out to be with people. And I am shocked at how many ministers are like that. Jesus took every opportunity he could to be alone. Now, I want you to look for that as we go through the Jesus stories. I think some, first of all, if you're an extrovert and God made you an extrovert, be an extrovert. But I think that some people are around people all the time because they're afraid to be alone with God and their thoughts. I always, when I do a men's retreat, I tell them there are three things you need to be, a warrior, a lover, and a monk. You're a warrior because you need to fight for justice and to protect those around you. It doesn't have to be a physical fight. If you're not called to do it that way, you can do it by laws, by regulations, by sharing your goods, whatever it is. A lover, a person that when you walk in the room, people calm down because you're there. It's going to be safer. There's going to be, there's going to be love in the, in the room. And then a monk, that one always makes people, you know, what? You need to be comfortable being alone with God. You need to be comfortable walking with God. You'll find this little dynamic happening a lot in in the Gospels where Jesus goes off to be alone and his apostles catch him and saying, what are you doing? Where are you going, buddy? You know, um, when I I first got here, and I, I can talk about this because I've talked to Gil about it. Gil would call me when I'd be on the road. And I'd say, what you need, Gil? And he goes, oh, I'm just calling to break up the monotony of your drive just to keep you company. And I said, don't do that. <laughs> Ever. And it took three or four more calls before he understood. No, one of the reasons I drive instead of fly, I'm not afraid of flying. Uh, it is the solitude of the drive. Being quiet. Being away. Getting some thoughts in. I don't think that one of those being extroverted is, I don't think that's more holy than being introverted or vice versa. But just notice that dynamic. Because everybody's looking for you, and Jesus' first thing is to say, let's go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That's why I've come. 
So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in her synagogues and driving out demons. Now take a look at what happens. A man with leprosy. Let's talk about leprosy. Modern day leprosy, whenever you hear somebody say they've got, you know, there's a leper colony or the like, America used to have leper colonies in Hawaii and Louisiana, most famous. Um, but they normally are referring to Hansen's disease. There are various forms of leprosy in the world. Hansen's disease is hard to get. It doesn't, um, doesn't transfer from person to person very easily. But there are other skin diseases that do transfer very quickly and are very de debilitating. And all skin diseases like that are lumped under the term leprosy in Scripture. It's not just referring to Hansen's disease. It's all transmittable or communicable uh, skin diseases. And by the way, if you want to know how to tell communicable from not, you go to the book of Leviticus because he actually, in great detail, explains color, texture, all of it to let you know which one's dangerous, which one is not. A man with leprosy came to him, and we got to stop again because that's not accepted. To be a leper, you had to stay away from people. If a rabbi came within touching distance of a leper, the rabbi was considered unclean until he went through the period of cleaning, the washing of his clothes, the staying away from the synagogue or temple, then coming back and presenting himself to the priest. It was a real hassle. But Jesus was approachable. The leper comes to him, and then he says, he phrases it wrong. If you are willing, you can make me clean. The next phrase, Jesus was indignant. Let's talk about that. First of all, if you remember, the book of Mark is really a recollection of the stories of who? Peter. Which of the apostles, at least as far as we know, was the most emotional based? Peter. So when he looks at Jesus, he's going to see reflections of Peter. And so he will say things about Jesus that the other writers never do. That he was mad, upset, indignant. The other writers fold that away. Interesting. Now, why would he be indignant? Well, it doesn't look like it's an in-your-face thing here. But it, this is a Semitic way of saying, are you able? Do you remember last week I told you how they use questions? Even today in Jewish societies, Orthodox Jewish societies, I went to school with a great number of Jewish people because they work within the same specialty that I do. I'll be, you know, pray for me. I'm heading up to Ohio State tomorrow, be teaching the next couple of days and then driving back. And I'm hoping the voice holds out because these, you got to do marathons uh, to do continuing medical education uh, courses. Now, there aren't breaks. You know, you don't get coloring time. Um, anyway, whenever, whenever I would go to school with them, remember I brought up, if they bought me a Coke and didn't want to be paid back, if I said, how much was it? They'd say, oh, don't worry. But if they really wanted to be paid back, they wouldn't say, you need to pay me back. They would say, oh, what's 50 cents? You know, what's, what's 70p? That meant that's how much I need from you. It's a, it's a way of phrasing. If you're willing, you can make me clean. Is really saying, are you able? Is that within your... And Jesus goes, he, first of all, he raises up a little bit. Um, by the way, some... 
Later translations remove the indignant. And they put, Jesus was filled with compassion. Don't try to make Christ more Christian than he is. Let him be Jesus. That's more approachable. He reached out his hand and he touched the man. He touched the man. You don't touch a leper. That's a rule. It's a pretty big rule. In fact, in the Old Testament, they even had to wear little bells, didn't they? To declare unclean if anybody was getting close to them. If you guys did that with your colds, I wouldn't have a cough right now. I've had people hug me, you know, just go, oh, Patrick, and I'm hugging. I'll say, how are you doing? They'll say, not well. I've been sick in bed all week. I don't, and I'm going, what are you doing on me? Get. I was indignant. Um, he said, I'm willing, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. You're going to find out something about me as I read the Gospels. I don't spend a lot of time on the miraculous bits because to me, that's not the most important thing. If God creates heavens and earth, he can get rid of leprosy. That doesn't, does not surprise me. What surprises me is that he's willing to touch a leper. And without, the le- without saying, well, have you been good? You know, Jesus isn't Santa. Were you good to your parents before you get the present? It's, no, you need help? I'll help you. We fed and worked with the homeless for 10 years in Detroit. Sometimes people would come from other churches and they'd say, can we go down with you? We'd say, absolutely. One of them, a good man, by the way, a good man, on the way, as I was driving back away after we'd been there in the afternoon, he said, how long you've been doing this? And at that time, it was about six years or so. And he said, Is it, are it the same people? And I said, much of the people are the same people. We know their names. We know their stories. And I knew he wanted to say it, but he was working on it. Finally, he came out with, well, then our, what difference are you making if in six years you're still feeding the same people in life? And I said, when we arrived, they were hungry. They are not now. That's a difference we're making. And that's enough. If you look at Jesus, he wasn't as interested in converts as he was in people. He was cleansed. And he sent him away with a strong warning. See, you don't tell this to anyone. Now, Jesus says that a lot. There are a couple of reasons why he probably said it a lot. One, if the news gets out, what happens if there's news that there's free stuff? You can't get anything done, can you? It is free stuff time. What happens if the authorities, religious authorities mainly, find out that somebody's walking around doing miracles saying that they come from God? That's going to go sideways pretty fast. To remain anonymous and just go around doing good, tell no one. But there's another reason. If he tells people, I, have lepros- I had leprosy and he touched me and he healed me, then Jesus walks into a community, they're going to go, he touched a leper. I'm backing away. So Jesus just wanted kept private. He said, go show yourself to the priest, offer the sacrifices that, that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, the leper went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news, as you would. Uh, Bob, 
haven't seen you in town for a while, and your face is back. Um, how'd that happen? What's he going to say? Don't know. You know, woke up healed. It happened. No, and if he was on Facebook today, he would do a quack remedy. Um, you know, somebody told me this, and now I'm well. All right, fine. So he told everybody, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Think about that. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Back in the 70s, Andrew Lloyd Webber wrote a rock opera that infuriated Christians called Jesus Christ Superstar. And no matter where, he's British, and so no matter where over there he did it, it was, oh, then he brought it to America. People were not ready for this. And I'm not recommending and saying this thing has a lot of great theology in it, but it had a couple of scenes that were brilliant that most ministers never talk about. There's one where Jesus is trying to work his way through the crowd and people keep coming up. Do you see me, Christ? Do you hear me, Christ? Can you touch me, Christ? And they are pressing on him from every direction and the noise just keeps louder and louder. You know, heal me, heal me, heal me, give me, give me. And finally he just shouts out, heal yourselves. And then he sings a song about needing to be alone. And it actually makes sense. Because once the news is out about free, what happens? You can't preach anymore. Because people, it, it's rather like, there was a very famous um, churchman, clergyman in Scotland who quit and went to medical school and became a doctor. And when asked why, he said, because people will pay more to care for their bodies than for their souls. University of Edinburgh, uh, that's the capital of Scotland, was the uh, fifth or sixth university in the English-speaking world. And within a uh, hundred years, their, uh, their medical department had more chairs than their theology department. And even back then, the statement on record is, it seems people are more interested in their bodies than their souls. Can you imagine how difficult it would be for any of you to be able to walk around this town if it was known you could heal anything? I've never won the lottery. Evidently, you have to play it to win it. So I'm um, driving by the store doesn't do it. Uh, it seems complicated to me anyway. But I would imagine if you won, let's say, $50 million, you would have to change your name. You'd have to change your phone. You'd have to find a way to hide. Because everybody thinks they deserve a piece of that. Right? So every, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, could you feel sorry for Jesus every now and then? Being Jesus is tough. Being God is hard. Loving people and seeing what they do back to you, that's hard. Any questions or comments before we, we move to one of my favorite church services? Okay. I know I'm above you here, but I'm not floating in the clouds. If you were all in one section, I'd come down. I don't know if that's a threat or not. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come. They gathered in such large numbers, there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. My dad's always had a huge place in his heart for Appalachia. And I can remember once, I have no idea how old I was. We were always on the move, so I have no idea. 
But I can remember we were in eastern Kentucky in a place where I don't think any place we went had electricity uh, or running water or inside plumbing the whole time we were there. And at one church he went to, the windows didn't have glass in them. They had boards that you would then push the whole board out with another board and hold it open. I don't know if you've ever... And dad is he, and there was the, the water fountain was a bucket with a ladle in front of the, and I thought it was fascinating because I'd never seen anything like this. You know, uh, people would come up holding the baby. Dad's preaching. They'd just take a drink, <laughs> give the baby something, put it down, go back. I'm going, well, that's weird. You know, and you're not allowed to move in church. I know, you know, I've seen them. Anyway, the, the windows went out, and I can remember the place being so packed that people were lined out around the windows to hear. One of my favorite times, by the way, that week, the thing I remember most is the time that a donkey stuck its head in, or a mule, maybe a mule. I, I didn't ask, uh, but, and, the, and I'm not familiar with the creatures, and you know, we don't have a lot of those in Scotland, except for some politicians. Uh, and so, but, but the head came in, and I thought, well, that's the most interesting thing I've seen in church in my life, and I thought that was wonderful. So here they are, they're packed, no room. They preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it. Have you ever been in a thatched house? You know what I mean by thatched, though, at least, right? If you start digging, it gets dirty below. Bugs and dirt and bits of straw start coming through. So Jesus is preaching there, and stuff is coming down. Jesus just keeps talking. And then what happens? They lowered the mat the man was lying on. So Jesus is preaching, and you're, eh, 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 eh. And you just know there were some people in there going, well, I don't approve of this. <laughs> I knew once we started using the NIV that it was going to lead to this. Uh, you know what? Clapping causes this. It causes men lowered from ceiling stuff. I know that. Jesus saw their faith, said to the paralyzed man, this is a church service. What do you think? No. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. Why don't you stop for a minute? Jesus' first response, his first instinct is to forgive. And that's true all of his life. Look on the cross, first one. If I'm on the cross and a minimum wage soldier nailed me there, my thought's not going to be, oh, I hope God doesn't hold him guilty for that. I'm going to be thinking, kill him, God. He's right there. You have lightning, go for it. I'm sorry, that's who I am. I would like to think I'm a better guy, but I've, lived, I've known me all my life. Jesus' first response is to forgive. Does that make anybody else feel good? Have you ever gone to God in prayer feeling so guilty you had a hard time asking to be forgiven? Well, I have. Read the Gospels and you'll find he is, he is so ready to forgive. Let's go. Okay, it's done. More about that when we get to Luke. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, that's what they do. I can remember we came to America. we just come to America. And I heard that Rubel Shelley was going to be giving a talk at a Christian camp a couple hours away from where I was living. I'd never heard him before, but I'd heard about him. In the Churches of Christ, he was right below Beelzebub somewhere. 
But I was, I'd had enough struggles with my faith that I was open. I, I thought, I'm, I'm going to go listen to him, even though it was in a camp run by the Christian church and somebody might play an instrument and defile me. I went. As I sat there and listened to his talk, it was a brilliant talk. It was an excellent talk. But I could spot the teachers of the law. They had gotten a couple rows in their white shirts, their ties, leaning back some of them taking notes. And I knew what was going to happen because I used to be one of those guys. Right after, they're going to come up and start getting in his face. And they did. And I walked up to him later, for the only time I ever talked to him for years, actually. I said, Dr. Shelley, how do you, how do you deal with this? And his response was basically just, well, you know, love them and forgive them. I didn't think that was, I needed more than that. Need more help than that. Jesus knows. Why does that fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they're thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? What do you think about that? In your heart, you're thinking, that guy's an idiot. You can't do that kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, the guy stops, look at you and goes, why are you thinking things like that? Anybody else freaked out? We go, oh. It's kind of like um, sometimes women will look at their husband and say, I wish I knew what you're thinking. No. No, you don't. You'd never quit slapping us. It would not be good. Jesus knows. And then it, this is actually kind of funny. He goes, which is easier? To say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take up your mat, and walk? Now, we all know the easiest one would be to say your sins are forgiven. Why? Because they're invisible. Do you remember the faith healers back in the day? They would always heal stuff you couldn't see. I've got a bad liver. Now you're healed. How do you know? Let's run some tests. But they don't do that. Or you're, you're, I'm deaf. They love the deaf one because they can lean in and shout, and the deaf person says, I hear. Well, that's because they shouted in your ear before they knocked you down. And, you know, things like this, it's always invisible stuff. It's not like, I don't have an arm. Well, there's another one. You don't get that. So it's, it's a fair point. Which is easier to say? It's easy to say you've forgiven sins. But how do you know the sins have been forgiven? Oh, well, let's say the harder thing then. I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So let me say that harder thing. He turns to the man. I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. Well, I guarantee you, you've never seen anything like this. But did you know something strange about this story? He didn't say, get up, take up thy mat, and join us in worship. He says, get out of here. There are some church gatherings Jesus would rather you not be in. And this one is going to be a church fight. Do you, want, you, you don't want that man to have a diary that says, after all these years, I was healed and could walk. Then in a church fight, they broke my leg. <clears throat> He's saying, get out of here. Think about that. There are some churches that Jesus would rather you leave because it's not going to be nice there. There's not going to be any love there. Did you ever notice that before? 
I actually like that about Jesus. There are several times where people try to join themselves to something, and Jesus says, no, go home. It's going to be better if you're not part of this. You guys are quiet. <clears throat> I know you're in the, what most people call the auditorium, which is Greek for room for listening. Literally, it is. This is the family room. You're allowed to talk. As long as you agree with me. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake, always moving, getting away from the crowd. A large crowd came to him. He began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. Let's stop for a minute. Once again, was this the first time that Jesus saw Levi? No. He would have formed a relationship with him, talking to him, talking to the guy nobody else talked to because he's a collaborator with the Romans. He's a tax collector. So we don't do this. Jesus did. Formed a relationship with him to where he's able to come along and say, why don't you walk with me instead? When Jesus was having dinners at, dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him. I love that. Tax collectors and sinners. I like to bring it up every so often to my neighbor who's an IRS agent. Um, he tells me that at least they are differentiated, tax collectors and sinners. They're not put in the same pile. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Remember what I told you about eating in the first century. You are who you eat with. If you eat with the tax collectors and sinners, you are saying they are in full fellowship with me. I'll take them. I love them. This, again, should shock us in a good way. Because in many churches, there are many people who think, well, I'm not good enough to be in that church. Um, you're not bad enough for Jesus not to want you. Jesus wants you. He'll sit down and eat with you. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I find it fascinating in Scripture, Jesus was only angry at one group, the religiously arrogant, the religiously smug, those he got angry with. All the others he could work with. I brought this up to you before, just want to remind you. Levi is also given another name in Scripture. What's that name? Matthew. You ever wondered how much sleep he got the first couple of weeks following Jesus? Because Jesus already had some followers, some of whom were zealots who carried concealed weapons that they would use to stab tax collectors with. And now Jesus is saying, get along. Should that teach us something? especially in our political, over-politicized world. It should teach us something. I'll let you decide what it is. Now, Jesus' disciples and Pharisees were fasting. And again, Albert is all about fasting. Look at that. Some names are popping up on the board. That's good. Um, there was, and some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, how can the guest of the bridegroom fast when he's with them? 
They cannot so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. What in the world's going on? Here we are. Fasting was absolutely a part of Jewish life. If you're not aware of this, fasting does not mean going without any food. It can mean that. But far more often, fasting was doing without a particular food or doing without a particular activity. Uh, I know people for Lent who have given up, for example, Facebook, and they've kind of gone through DTs, uh, getting away from it. Or they've given up TV, or they've given up some. You give up something which is taking your time. And according to Isaiah, and we put that in e-blast in e here, I think last week or the week before, a real fast means treating people kindly, living in justice, making sure you're, the people that work for you are adequately paid and cared for. Real fast means giving up something on behalf of God. So that said, Jesus is saying, while I'm still with them, let them be happy. The time's going to come where they're going to need to fast. But it, it doesn't have to be now. That's an interesting thing. Let it be based upon the situation and upon the need, not upon your tradition. Anybody want to say anything there, or is that interesting to you at all? I find that interesting. This is time to rejoice, he says. All right, if that's not enough to get you going, how about this? The Lord's Supper, for the first couple of hundred years of Christians, uh, Christianity, was a celebration around a table, a full meal with all the family and all the other families, and it would have been noisy and give and take, and there'd be songs and be prayers and be hugs, and then people decided we need to control it. And they turned the celebration table into an altar, literally, a place of sacrifice. So when I was growing up, they would always have a song to get our minds ready to partake the Lord's Supper. And it would always involve whips and nails somewhere, or blood. And then, on our prayers, we were told, you'd better be concentrating on the pain in the cross. Do you remember that? And I'm a little boy, I'm, I'm concentrating the best I can. Hoping my mind doesn't wander. I can remember praying so many prayers, asking God's forgiveness, because I thought about lunch halfway through the prayer. And I was serious. I wanted to follow Jesus, and this is the way to do it. They turned what was supposed to be joyful into something solemn and sad. So here, as you know, once or twice a month, we come to tables. We still don't do the whole meal thing. We need to find a way to do that. We do. That'd be tough in this facility. We might have to bring your own meal. And, you know, that, by the way, look how it's built. It's all built facing forward. That doesn't work really well. Yes? Oh, yeah. An, an, right, an Orthodox Seder. Yeah. right it's highly interactive isn't it um if if you don't know what he's talking about you can actually go on to youtube and look up orthodox seder seder is s-e-d-e-r 
And some of that you can see some done, but you can also see them done and explained as they go through. For example, hiding certain things that uh, the youngest is supposed to find. So you hide it where they can see it. And everybody else, we can't see it. And they can see it, and it gets exciting. And the give and take, it's, it's, it's amazing how we turn something celebratory and turned it into something sad. Fasting doesn't have to be sad. In fact, Jesus said, when you fast, don't look like you're fasting. Dress up, go out, be friendly. Interesting to me. Then look at what he says. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. No one pours new wine into old wineskins, which have been dry and not expanding well, because whenever new wine goes in and ferments, it expands. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. Our religion is supposed to be something different, something new. And that's always offensive, is it not? It's always offensive. Something new? Well, I'm not sure about this. But remember that Jesus tells us the story of the parable of the talents, and we'll cover that when we get to it. The one that Jesus condemned was the guy that took what God gave him, protected it, and returned it unchanged. He wanted you to risk it. He wanted you to change it. He wanted you to take what you have and do stuff with it. People who are trying to lock in one form of worship that they feel is the approved form and we can turn it back to God at the end of days and prove we were okay have not read the scripture. God likes something new. Let's try something new here. And don't try to patch in the old. Um... Speaking of, you're talking about the, the Messianic Jews there. You mentioned them. I have no problem with people who want to bring in more of the Jewish traditions and such. That's absolutely, you're free to do that. But it's when they bind it on others, saying, you too must do this. No, no, we don't. What you're doing there is you're sewing the old and new together. Don't do that. All right. You're not very vocal today. We've only got three minutes, or let's see, eight minutes to be vocal. On Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. As his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. What's going on? This is wheat. As you go, you're allowed to, called gleaning. You'd pick. It's not stealing. The Jewish society, this was all legal. You, you pick up a bit, and you grind it together in your hand. And then you... And the chaff blows away, you pop it in your mouth, and you eat what has the consistency of grape nuts. Uh, gra- I always love that name for cereal, grape nuts. There's no grapes or nuts in it. Um, but anyway, you're eating the, the, the wheat, the kernels of wheat. You just chew them as you walk. It was a common thing, uh, very allowed, but Pharisees said, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? What? Harvesting. Uh, Some of the Orthodox Jews I went to school with would not walk on grass on Saturday because if by accident their foot broke a blade and it died, that would be harvesting. And we're not allowed to harvest. That would be work. 
Jesus goes to great pains in the Gospels to say, don't take what God gave you as a favor and make it a burden. A favor. Have a day off. Don't work on this day. Relax and enjoy your family and God on this day. And they turn it into such a burden, you you couldn't walk more than a certain distance because that would be work. You couldn't walk more than a certain distance from your property because that would be work. So what they would do to get around it is find an old pot and break it into many pieces and every so often throw out a piece. Therefore, you're never that far from your property. Jesus is going, guys, have you ever read, never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of, he entered the house of God. He's David. He's not a priest. He's a warrior. And ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he gave some to his companions. And he said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Don't make this a burden. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. What's going on? Here's what's going on. Was it illegal in God's economy for David to enter the temple? Yes. Was it, uh, not temple at that time, tabernacle. Uh, was uh, Was it illegal for him to touch, much less eat the consecrated bread? Yes. But not only did he eat it, he passed it out to his buddies, his guerrilla band, They they were uh, militia fighters, and God was okay with it. Why? Because David was hungry. Love trumps law. It always has. Even in those days, love trumps law. One of the things I love about this church is that you're not afraid to love people. And if we have a question between love and law, we're going to fall on the side of love. The best we can. We're going to get it wrong sometimes. We're going to blow it sometimes. But the best we can, we're going to fall on the side of love. Why? Because Jesus did. I love this passage. Because those who try to use Nadab and Abihu, you know Nadab and Abihu. If you're Church of Christ people, you know Nadab and Abihu. Because that's the reason why we can't change or touch anything. Because all they did was substitute the fire and God killed them. And that's the rule. Don't touch with anything. Well, that, the problem is it, there were other people who changed fire and they weren't killed. Nadab and Abihu were habitually drunkards who abused women. Read the scripture. God had had enough of them. It wasn't that they had messed with some fire. The strange fire would have been pagan fire. They'd been doing pagan worship, hanging around pagan prostitutes, misusing women, and then showing up like holy people, and God said no. Very different than what we've been told. So once again, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. If you have a choice to make, choose love. Now we've only got three minutes left. Um, Oh, let's go for it. Another time Jesus went into synagogue, a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. Teachers of the law, sitting with the arms crossed. You can spot them. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Think about that. This guy has a reputation for loving people on the wrong day. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, 
stand up in front of everyone. I like this about Jesus. Is Jesus a coward? There's nothing sissy or weak about Jesus. He's going, oh, you want to see if I'm going to do something? Come here, in front of everybody. He turns, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save a life or to kill? They remain silent. So he looked around them in anger, deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. What? You just saw in front of you Jesus showing the power of God, and he even asked you, is it all right to do good on the Sabbath, to heal? And you wouldn't even answer him. So he helps the guy, and you think, well, that guy's got to die. Why? Because if people follow him, our system's gone. Our power is gone. Everything about us is gone. People, the main purpose of any government entity or any NGO, non-government organization, is to stay in existence and gain power. The same with churches and church people. They want to keep their power, so they're going to find a way to do it. Unless you hand it all over to Jesus and just say, what do you want? wants to do good on a, sun, on a Sunday. A lot of churches do this, by the way. They will have times during the year where they may gather at the building for assignments and a quick prayer and maybe the communion, but then they don't have their worship service that day. They go out into the community. They build a porch for a single mother. They do re, replumb a house of a widow. They take care of things in the community. They worship by service. Have you ever done one of those? Yeah, you have, yeah. Some of us, we did it in Detroit. Um, not often enough by any stretch, but we had never seen it done, so we, we thought we were cutting edge when we tried it. Jesus says, come on, people. What's important to you? Your own power, and I'm sorry, but the answer is, well, I'm not even going to do American politics. I'm going to do British, and then we'll close. British have a program called Question Time. Now, Question Time... You have a, you know, somebody from the Labour Party, somebody from the Liberal Party, somebody from the Conservative, the Tories. Maybe you'll have a Liberal Democrat or a Scottish Nationalist or whatever. But you have a few of those. And they, uh, each place that you go, it'll be a different group, usually. And normally in the middle, it's, it's some knight um, that, would, that would do it, somebody respected in the community. I can remember when we lived there, it was Sir Robin Day. And so... You'd have all of them on the site, and then people would come. You might be in Pembroke, Wales. You might be in, in uh, York, in Yorkshire. You might be in Scotland. Wherever you were, people would come, and then the program is the people asking questions to the panel, and then the panel gets to respond. That's, you might think, that's boring TV. Well, yeah, but that's, you, when you only have three channels, and one of them's cricket, this begins to look interesting. So... I noticed from an early age that it didn't matter what really the subject was. If one was for it, the other had to be against it because that allowed them to have a reason to exist. And I don't care if you're in Lincoln, you know, Lincoln, um, not Nebraska, but there in the center of England, and somebody stands up and goes, you know, what do you think about kitten juggling? There's no such thing. Just work with me. You know, what do you think about kitten juggling? And, and labor guy, let's say, would say, 
I'm absolutely against it. I'm, I'm opposed to any juggling of kittens in any way, shape, or form. The Tory, the conservative, would have to say, well, hang on, hang on, hang on. Some of them kittens need juggled. You know, it didn't matter. It did not matter. They had to find a way to oppose so that they could have a reason to be there. Don't do that. As Christians, we look for a way to love, not for a way to keep our power, but a way to hand it over to God. All right, time's up.